Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Unit spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Dad, I found an article from the Financial Review back on January the 6th in 1988. Now, I, weirdly enough, don't remember most of my childhood. But I do remember 1988 because it was the bicentennial. Mm. And I remember sitting with the family and grandma in particular on this point mm. uh, somewhere kind of near Mossman-ish. Yep. And we, we were watching the longboats go past. They did a full Not only long. reenactment. No, some of them were short, short too, yes. and yep. medium. Yeah. But this article uh, was released in the Financial Review uh, on the 6th of January, 1988. And I'm going to read it for you now because it sets up what we're talking about today on Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Mm. One of Australia's biggest bank robberies has left police with few clues and a number of Chinese businessmen missing valuables, which could amount to millions of dollars. Thieves broke into the National Australia Bank's Haymarket branch in Sydney's Chinatown on Sunday morning in an operation that has been described by police as the most organised bank crime in New South Wales in four years. But the haul from the bank's security boxes will not be known until the bank's clients report what they kept in the boxes. It could be millions of millions or it could be nothing at all if people only left the deeds for their houses in them, according to Detective Chief Inspector Kevin Parsons. Basically, this robbery was absolutely huge. And it says here, the gang of at least three had a 24-hour lead over police as the robbery was not discovered until Monday morning by bank staff, despite an alarm being triggered off on Sunday morning. Now, we'll talk about the specifics soon. But this case was colloquially referred to as the... Great Chinese takeaway, is that correct? Mm, correct. Do you know why, Paul? Apparently, the thieves were there for so long that they ordered Chinese takeout during the robbery. Well, no, I don't think they'd order it. You think they went out and got it? They, one of them would have gone and got it. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise it would have been called the Great Chinese de- Home Delivery. Mm. That makes sense, yeah. But it's okay. very, very... The proximity to Chinatown is 
is very significant in this particular story because yep. of the client base being mainly Chinese. It was known ostensibly as a bank for Chinese people. Yep. And, of course, one can say emphatically and categorically that particularly back in the 1980s, and that's not to take from today, mm-hmm. but Chinatown was a basically cash business. So families that would go to Chinatown, and, and there's a Chinatown in most major cities throughout the world. Yes. And families love to go and dine out. And, of course, the preferred mode of payment particularly back then, was cash. Now, at the end of the evening, the cash has to has to go somewhere and it would generally go into a safe. Um, quite often it would be taken home by the proprietors, hence a, an offshoot problem of that were the notorious home invasions. It was a simple matter of following a family to their home and they'd know for a fact that the cash would be within the confines of their private residence, then there'd be a home invasion. So, you know, this is a very, very interesting case, Paul, and I'm sort of glad you suggested that we perhaps just move away from murder. You know, murder. Or kidnapping or, you know... Rape, hot, yeah. arson, paedophilia, yeah. the you know, the gamut, which we is our stock and trade. Mm-hmm. But um, I was a little bit excited. So I started to sort of dig deep and I actually couldn't find initially mm-hmm. a lot of information on this particular story. I kept finding uh, robberies at the same bank or similar banks in and around that area over the years. It seems like that, that area has been quite... Because when I read that piece from the uh, Financial Review and it said the worst robbery in four years, I went, how often That's, are you getting robbed? Uh, yeah, look, I'm, gonna, I'm going to say something fairly ballsy at this juncture. Now, we, yeah. we did a very interesting story on what was supposed to be the biggest safe job in Australian history. That yep. was at the Northern Rivers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to unashamedly yeah. throw the gauntlet down yeah. and say that in my opinion... This robbery we're talking about in Chinatown yep. was by far the biggest robbery ever in Australian history. And we know what they did steal, but then there's all kinds of, like you said, undeclared things. And you're saying that if you take that into account, it's the biggest in Australian history. Without a doubt. Okay. Because, okay. listeners, I deal in antiques. I specialise in Asian antiques. Mm-hmm. I also deal in rare and valuable watches. I deal in jewellery. And I used to, when I was a safety inspector with the Work Cover Authority, and I worked with a very senior director within the department called Sir Lunchalot, and he didn't have that name just for fun. He used to take me down to Chinatown and we used to, you know, have lunch. And we never, ever, ever paid for lunch Um, because the network within Chinatown is a very tight community Mm -hmm. and 
it's very secretive. And you might be interested to know, Paul, that a few months ago, I inquired and I made inquiries to the point of actually going and being taken into a strong room in this city with security that was dazzling in the extreme because I was considering getting my own safety deposit box huh. to keep my my small treasures in. <laughs> small treasures. We, you couldn't have done it in the uh, NAB bank that was robbed because it's a... It's some sort of martini bar now. Um, That's right. They, but, yeah. Yeah. But they still use the original, um, you know, the, the strong room. Yeah. Uh, and it would be very interesting to go there because you actually get to see the actual um, safe doors. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's a sort of ornamental fixture now. Correct. Really do anything Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But um, going and seeing this uh, and going through the whole procedure, I was taken through the most, it was a little bit like... I very much felt like perhaps James Bond, how he would feel, sure. in that the the protocols, you had to go into this building, there's a, a lift button that doesn't work unless they allow it to work. Right. You call through, go downstairs. It's very, very secretive. They don't really want you to see other people. And I guess if you're using a strong room, you don't want... You don't want to see other people and you don't want other people to see you. But just to be clear, it's, this is not the bank from the actual robbery. This is just No, no, no. But it's just okay. setting setting the scene for this yep. particular case. Now, you know, this is the sort of case I've been thinking about this just before we came on air. Uh-huh. If you're going to do a big, big bank job, uh-huh. think about the crew you're going to use, Paul. Think about the different skills you need to bring to the table. You need someone very competent with oxyacetylene. These guys also used a thermo lance, which we've discussed in previous episodes. Yes, we have. Which are a a sort of a, it's a long rod that fires a, like, sort of a ball of light that is so intense it it can basically go through any, any, any sort of material known to man. It's like a laser, um, basically. Yeah, but it, but as you're using it, it it, it shrinks, right. sort of it 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 sort of um, focuses down. <clears throat> yes, and it, and it sort of sort of digests itself as it's because it's using this amazing sort of you know metal that's part of the rod that actually disintegrates as it creates the heat. Okay. The problem being using a thermal lance is that it generally destroys all paper currency. Okay. They also and how we know so much about this particular job is that when the thieves left over this four-day weekend, which was a very mm-hmm. significant weekend in Australia's history, um, they left all the gear there. And I have seen all the photographs. And Would they, that not be... If, if that's pretty expensive, specific stuff, is that not risky leaving things behind that could trace back to you? Is that possible? <clears throat> that's a very, very, very good point. And also, I considered how they would had to have at least all worn gloves. Yeah. But also, they would have clearly had to have wiped all the prints of all the equipment. And I actually saw a photograph of the oxyacetylene, um, the torch, and the torch in the photograph is brand new. 
we are talking, this is based on that type of equipment that I've seen in, in my life, it was bought for the job mm-hmm. and it was, so it had only been used once. Uh, the cylinders, they, you can't generally buy acetylene, you, you sort of lease it, sure. you sort of hire it. You know how you see those acetylene and oxygen valves are sort of cylinders on the back of a lot of plumbers' vehicles? One's maroon, one's black. Um, the oxyacetylene is highly, highly explosive. So you don't just, you know, it's not like you go to a pub, you, you're with a few mates, and you say, I've got a really good idea, let's, let's perhaps go out and do a, um, do a bank job. That's not how it works. You know, these are relationships that are the, built up over many, many years. The trust and you've got to get all the different talents. So I mentioned firstly oxyacetylene and a thermo lance. They also used um, dynamite, and they also used what are called um, those things they use on the the tracks, the railway tracks, called detonators. Right. <coughs> oh, I remember in the case with the uh, lady stuck under the train. You talked about Correct. the fact that they had detonators to stop trains coming up the rear of them basically well basically they put a detonator on the track that the the, the incredible weight of the train sets the detonator off that's an audible signal to the driver right quite often it's at night time yeah to stop and that's not going to derail the train no it doesn't derail just makes a hell of a a noise so that is for very specific Mm -hmm. sort of tools of the trade they're using now you don't just go and you don't, I mean, knowing how to use oxyacetylenes, that's one thing. But using dynamite, yeah. firstly, you've got to acquire the dynamite. So back in the 80s, there would have been, definitely they would have had contacts either on the wharves, which were notoriously bloody corrupt. That's putting it very mildly. Yeah, You may have had... A security guard working at a company, for example, ICI Chemicals, that are the people that manufacture explosives. But when I looked at the photographs, they had around about a hundred sticks of gelignite. A hundred sticks. And when you light one of those, I mean, if you light a sort of a, a cracker from fireworks, they make a big noise, don't they? And they're just a, like a small cracker. Imagine lighting a stick of gelignite. But it was the long weekend in Sydney. The whole of Australia is in a highly festive mode. Mm-hmm. George Street, weirdly, Paul, is the, is the street that I drove down in the very first chapter of Loose Units. Remember yes, that? Yes, I, I remember that one. Yes, I saw you driving past the cinema. That Correct. So, if, yep. if, so, listeners... In Paul's first book of Loose Units, when I drive down George Street and you create that amazing scene, it's, it's, the most, it's a really wonderful scene. You, you captured Paul. I drove past that bank. Great. Okay? And, you know, when you choose a particular bank, you're going to choose a bank that you believe is going to deliver the goods. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the questions that I've asked myself in relation to this story is did they choose the bank for the safety deposit boxes do you have any thoughts on that 
I'm really not sure. Or you mean, or were the safety deposit boxes a fallback and they actually wanted to Very safe? good. Brilliant. Great. Excellent, Paul. Thanks. Why are you laughing? Because I'm chuffed. It's, it's, it's nice to be told you're right. <laughs> no, no, it's brilliant because that's that was not... That was sort of a... Uh, that was not the... They didn't have their eyes on the, on the safety deposit boxes. That's too much dynamite for safety deposit boxes. It's a very, very smart fallback and also a lot quieter. But Dad, there were, the, as you know, there were 80 safety deposit boxes and they, um, that they stole from and only 42 people came forward to actually say what they'd lost. Hmm. So the rest were like, well, we probably don't want the ATO to know what we... It's not, what we it's, it's not just the, the matter of the ATO. You know, right. people... In my experience, based on what I know, you know, in relation to my police work, but even if I dare say so, my work with antiques, and I've dealt a lot with the Chinese community, and I've bought a lot of incredible stuff over the years, really incredible. And I'm of the opinion, as are the very, very senior investigative police of that time, that the spoils of the boxes were extraordinary, but I think we need to come back to how they got into the building. A hundred percent, yes. And that is, it's brilliant. It's so, so clever. There was a construction site, a building next door mm-hmm. that abutted directly onto the perimeter of mm-hmm. the National Australia Bank. Okay. This was a hardcore construction site now they used a metal ladder so again think about the preparatory work the work involved the planning would have been the very least several weeks but possibly months Mm -hmm. so there's a lead up time so you get the crew crew you can trust crew that are capable crew that are you know very competent work very well under pressure <clears throat> on the balance of probabilities this would not have been the first job this crew did although that cannot be discounted hey dave yeah randy since we founded bombus we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy wait what i got it bombus Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As I said, they've got, and back in the 80s, George Street was relatively quiet, particularly down near Chinatown. It's on a weekend. They managed to get all the gear onto the construction site. Now, all the gear onto a construction site would not leave or arouse any suspicions because this is the sort of gear that you would expect to see on a construction site. Gotcha. It's, it's possible that they actually had someone on the site that had mm-hmm. perhaps alerted them to the fact that there was a window that was not barred that could be accessed from the construction site by way of the ladder. So the guy, the crew, they, they set this ladder up, climb up onto this sort of a, a ledge. They yeah. then use ropes. They haul all of the equipment. And they don't care because it's behind hoardings. It's a long weekend. It's a construction site. Any person or persons walking down George Street, even if they heard noise from behind a hoarding, knowing it's a construction site, would never think that those noises were out of the ordinary. Um, it could be a, a tradesman just coming in, as they often do on these sites, and doing some extra work. Oh, that's nuts. So, so hang on. Is it possible that you had a bunch of tradies working on a work site across from a bank who went, hey, we have the requisite skills. Let's just dump some money down some new gear you know, stick around on the work site, pretend we're working on something, and then, like, is that is that at all feasible? It's feasible, but Unlikely. it's feasible if they... No, no, not necessarily. If they had have had done time, for example. Yeah. I mean, you can be a tradesman. You yeah. can finish your apprenticeship yeah. in plumbing. You can do some, some time. You can go into jail. Then you are sort of, you know, hanging out with some interesting characters. You know... The the work site, the construction site, back then, it probably only had at least a padlock. It may not have even had a padlock. You may have been able to just reach through one of those little sort of cutaway holes and just open up a, a latch. And, you know, there could have been a rear entrance. I don't know, but it just gave them incredible anonymity and safety yeah. being behind a hoarding. They've got carte blanche, then they've got four days, which is a long time. Because everyone's, the weekend, it's a big weekend Huge. for Australia. The, the bicentennial, if you weren't uh, around for it, was, I mean, like comically over the top. It was, the entire harbour was alive. With, it was beautiful. Uh, it, it was, was, it was but, but all eyes were on the event, yeah? It's, it, it, it did, um, and I don't like to, to use phrases flippantly, but it, it was an event that brought the nation to a standstill yeah and it was exhilarating and who would have known on that beautiful day when we as a family were sitting on this grassy sort of a knoll overlooking sydney harbour watching the fleet of ships and ships from all over the world sailing past us who would Mm. have imagined that as we sat one of the biggest bank robberies in australian history was 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 going down and I'd like to say to the listeners, and particularly police and ex-police, that don't get me wrong here, but I have a 
just a small part of my psyche, a small part of me almost gets slightly sort of, I'm not, I won't say I'm in awe of the crew that did this, but I, I have a touch of, I guess, admiration. admiration. Yeah, and so. also, because it's not, and there are going to be lots of different views here, but there is no violence in this particular crime. I've talked about how often, on, that regularly on this show, I say the, uh, the ultimate crime for me is a heist. Because mm. typically speaking, you hope that insurance covers the loss, but the, the fact that nobody got hurt is, I mean, that's fantastic. And, and no one's been caught. Yeah, that's another interesting wrinkle. But okay, so let's snap back to the actual crime. Okay. So they've used the ladder, they're across there, they've got all the gear. All the gear. Then yep. then it gets really interesting because they go down these stairs and I've seen photographs of the stairs. Now these stairs were clearly stairs that were not used by mm. the bank staff. It was almost abandoned. They were just... I guess we'd describe them as Victorian fire stairs. They were, they, you know, they, they, were, they were decorative, but they were clearly 19th century. Mm-hmm. They then come to the top of the lift. Now, if ever you've been inside a lift, Paul, and looked up, there's always a hatch. Sure. Now, that hatch will enable... So you enter the, the lift, you then get a stepladder, you can open the hatch with a special key, then it enables yeah. a technician to go up above the the, the lift yep. and sort of work on the wiring, etc. But what these people did is that they had access to the hatch from above and they then got into the lift, so they fed all their equipment into the lift, plus the crew. Key? Would you need a key if you not, were Probably not. not. Not if you're entering the lift from above. Okay. okay, so they've opened up this thing. They've they've lowered everything into the lift. They then get ready for this, listeners. They then press what would I I would imagine would be the B for basement, mm-hmm. and the lift takes them past the actual bank area where the the public are, yeah, and the staff, and they go right down to the basement. Door opens, and there they are at the entrance to. The strong room and the safe. Huh. They then unload all their gear. Yeah. And at this point, I would... Because there has been some discussion as to whether or not they had a lookout. My feeling... I don't think they needed a lookout. Because they're, they've entered the bank from an area that is protected visibly because they've been able to come through a construction site. I don't think it's necessary. And I think that would possibly arouse some suspicion if you had a, a lookout, for example, in a car, bearing in mind that we're talking days here. So I don't really see that that's necessary, although they would need a vehicle to ultimately take the proceeds away from the scene. Gotcha. I reckon it would have been some type of van. I think that would be the most appropriate. And that would tie in beautifully with a construction site. You could even sort of be there opening up the the doors of the construction site, for example, on a Sunday, because it's next door, and you could actually have overalls on and 
a whole crew, and you could actually fill up a van with all the gear. Nobody would think no anything one. of men in construct at a construction site loading gear onto absolutely. A no one. And they wouldn't sort of stand opposite and see, oh, there's the NAB next door. Maybe they've gone in through the side and down and no. So but but what happens downstairs is very interesting. Okay. Initially, they use the thermo lance on the safe. And the reports that I've read indicate that, and this is sort of as per what one would expect, but that then makes me think just how well qualified i mean i don't understand because what happened was all the notes inside mm. spontaneously combusted and then oh, shit. they had to use water yeah to douse the flames apparently there would have been a lot of smoke yeah. and what they did in in effect is create paper mache oh my god so they had um a lot <laughs> of paper mache that they could have you know, made all sorts of characters with. But you can't take paper slop to a fence and get any money for it. No, no. So they completely destroyed. Now that's when the crew would have, and this is just sort of from a chronological perspective, it's based on all the equipment that they had. Yeah. You don't need a thermo lance to get into a safety deposit box. You can just use a crowbar. Mm -hmm. It's, It's basic. They're, the, they're, they're, they're there on the weekend, right? Mm. So they're in for the long haul at this point, basically. Correct, yeah. And then they they begin to open up the hundred or so mm-hmm. safety deposit boxes. Now, some people have um, flippantly said that they you know they would have had the deeds to their houses in them. That's, that's bunkerman bullshit. Uh, they would have had an incredible yeah. amount of gold. Gotcha. Gold Turn is a, especially, you know, people who don't trust banks, gold yeah. and the irony there of storing it at the bank. But yeah, mm. gold is an amazing way of having an actual physical. Uh, That's right. You know, yeah. Yeah. And think about all the extraordinary watches, the Rolexes and yeah. etc. Just, and a lot of them would have been gold, solid gold with diamonds. And it, it would have been a real, it would have been a bounty that, I mean, I would love to have been there just watching. Yeah, as they because that's exciting. It's, Where were you in '88, by the way? Where, whereabouts were you? Um, no, I was still in the um, the Work Cover Authority, invest, oh. investigating industrial accidents in the city. Right. Funnily enough, and my office was just up the road. So, um, within walking let's say distance, if one of the heisters had gotten injured uh, on the way back through the work site and had an anvil fall on them or something, and mm-hmm. you came to investigate, you would probably have bumped into your old buddies at forensics, right? Definitely. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I've seen um, a lot of footage of the, um, you know, all the services. The yep. manager of the bank, I've seen him interviewed at various press conferences and he was piss poor in my opinion. It, it was embarrassing. He was he was just way out of his depth. He, because what happened during this whole situation over the weekend is that the, the robbers actually activated an alarm. And security um, turned up to the bank. Uh-huh. And the security went inside the bank. Oh, Jesus. And whilst the security guard was on the first, on the sort of ground floor, the crew were downstairs. And that would have been a fairly terrifying time, assuming that they heard um, 
the guard into the building. Or they may, if they had have had a spotter outside, the spotter would have then radioed them saying, someone coming in through the front door, uniform guard, which is pretty fucking scary, which then makes you think about, did the gang have contingency plans? Should they have been confronted by a security guard? And now the security guard, um, as the information came out during the press conference, his brief as per his instructions, if ever an alarm went off in that bank, there was never any intention or instruction for him to go down to the floor below, which he could have just walked down some stairs. He just didn't do that. That was not part of the brief. He looked around, saw that everything was in order and thought that it was just a faulty alarm. He then left the bank. It's incredible, isn't it? So So if he'd he'd walked downstairs... Well, that could have been... We we don't like to... He could have been hurt, you know, you never know. Could have been shot, assuming perhaps that the, the, the gang or the crew were armed. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, but they got the contents of the, uh, the boxes and they left. Now, this crime to this very day is unsolved, but there was a particular crime uh, Sydney well-known identity who was a suspect but you know it's never ever been apparently he did make certain admissions to another prisoner in jail yeah um and if he, he, had, he had cancer right he had a tumor didn't he yeah yeah and I read somewhere that he actually you know left the country and went to Thailand oh Michael Hurley yeah he was a um cocaine smuggler I thought yeah yeah, yeah. An interesting character, um, but technically speaking, it is unsolved, and of course you are not going to. I mean, a couple of people came forward to the police. A couple yeah. of um, you know Chinese citizens that had safety deposit boxes. They came forward and explained to the police and told them of the contents. But the majority of people, because there's no obligation. You don't have to uh, come forward and declare that the, the the items in these safety deposit boxes, might I add, are not insured. It, it's a hundred percent risk is taken by the person taking out the box, in terms of because the bank doesn't know. It's total anonymity. And when I went to this place in Sydney um, a few months ago to inquire. There are very, very few boxes available in this establishment, which proves to me that, you know, it's just, it's, it's very, very popular. And you've got these rooms within these organisations, like in the movies, where I can go in and you make an appointment, you, they, they escort you into a private room, no staff are there, and you can have meetings in these rooms. Can you imagine the meetings? No cameras. Mm. Can you just comprehend I mean, to be fair, if you've got a very valuable watch and you keep it, or you're a diamond merchant, then it's a very good place to do business because it's safe. And the person is not going to rob you because they, in turn, won't be able to get out of the building. So I think that's, you know, it, it, it makes sense. And it's nice to know that your, um, that your goods are safe. And a um, bit of a pun. Yep. But, um, nice. I think it's a 
a really interesting job and the senior police officer the detective in charge he is of the opinion that it is feasible certainly it was feasible at the time that the value of the contents could have exceeded 100 million dollars right and, and i just i just absolutely agree with him bananas no bananas in the there's no point in they go off unless they're dry dried imagine that finally getting into the safe just bananas uh which is literally the beginning of donkey kong country um dad as far as heists go i've asked you this question before but I like that you and I are both sort of charmed by crimes that don't involve hurting anybody mm. and where the thieves get away with a sort of clever scheme, mm. yeah. right? Yeah. Um, do you remember when there was uh, a circus performer called Philippe T who, uh, along with a bunch of other people, broke into the Twin Towers when they were under construction, went to the top of one of the towers and tightrope walked across to the other end of the tower? Mm. Right? Amazing, yeah. They did a film about it called Man on Wire because mm. uh, Philippe T was a kind of a circus performer, magician, thief, amazing guy. I interviewed him over at Cinema Nova about a decade ago now when the film came out. And I asked him whether he thought uh, circus performers and magicians would make good thieves. And he was like, oh, the best, basically, because it's, oh. it's all it's all sleight of hand. Incredible. Paul. It, it, just, it just reminded me of that because of the, uh, you know, the under construction thing, giving you a, a way in that is so plausible because if you're going past and you see people like we said loaded loading stuff into a van um, from a construction site and they're dressed in the right clothes and it looks like it's construction stuff you don't you don't really ask any questions no look the 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 gentleman hurley is a very interesting person yeah. he sometime before this was involved in the theft of five thousand valuable watches and when it went to trial you needed a 12 nil verdict from the jury. One of the jurors just said, I'm not going to find him guilty. And it turned out that this Hurley had actually got to this juror and, and nobbled him. You're familiar with that term? Uh, nobbled or hobbled? Nobbled. Nobbled, what's, I hate to ask, what's nobbling? Well, it's not called nobbling. Well, if it's been done to someone, it's called nobbling. And mm-hmm. if it's been done to you, it's called nobbled. Okay, can right? you do me a favour, Paul? Can you Google um, okay. nobbled juror? Nobbled um, juror. Yes. Ah, okay. I, I, I'll read this from... Wow. The term jury nobbling refers to the actual or attempted influence of one or more jury members through intimidation or inducement. Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Mm, so that's basically what Hurley did with one of the jurors. And that, and that gotcha. was proven later on. Right. But, listeners and Paul, something very exciting. Mm. There was a display at the um, Sydney Town Hall yep. to raise money for St John's Ambulance prior to this sort of the NAB Chinatown heist. There was this 95.5 carat diamond. God knows what it was worth and hopefully what it is worth. Well, I don't know whether it's ever been found, but it was in this display cabinet. And in view, full view of between 60 and 100 people, a small man managed to get under the cabinet, pick a lock, or within a minute or so, reach up and replace the incredible diamond with some dodgy stone. And then get out. And a woman was sort of looking at this whole thing happening, and he just said, oh, yes, I had to adjust the stone. 
Now that turned, well, it, we don't know whether it was Hurley, but Hurley was very, very small in stature. Huh. Now that's an interesting story. And Hurley and his brother were seen in the vicinity, but they never ever could pin that particular crime on them. So I don't know what happened to that amazing 95 and a half carat diamond. Very famous. So it's just, and that was in broad daylight. So honestly, it's, it's so fascinating the length some people go to. Yeah, I, I too hope to one day steal things and get away with it for fun. I'd probably give it back afterwards. You know, it'd be like fishing where you put the fish back. I just want to, I just want to see if I can do it. I want to prove to myself that I can get away with it. One of the, um, no, I won't say one of the problems with the, the main suspect, Hurley, but mm. he was known in the Glebe community, which is a suburb in inner Sydney. He was a regular churchgoer. He was known to be extremely generous. True story, listeners and Paul, he's standing on a bus stop one day in Glebe. Bus comes along. He only had a $100 bill. Obviously, the bus driver couldn't change it. He said to the bus driver, please wait here. Hurley runs across to the real, uh, like a, uh, a news agent and says, can you change a $100 bill? The news agent said, no, I can't. Hurley then purchased $100 worth of scratchy lottery tickets. He then gave all the tickets to the bus driver. The bus driver and Hurley's on the bus. They drive a few stops. The bus driver stopped, did a few of the scratches and won $50,000. Unbelievable. That's great. And Hurley didn't ask for any of the money. He just said, great, good luck, and hopped off the bus. Now, that is a story that comes from Hurley's lawyer. Yeah. So it's Ridgy Didge. That's crazy. God, this whole thing is so weird. I'm, I would love to kind of go back and just... Did, did the security guards not smell anything when they went in? Like, all the, like you said, the thermal great. lance... Good point. Maybe that happened the day before. Okay, because they were there for so long. Yes. So yeah. long. And if my final question, Dad, uh, what do you think they ordered? Um, I, back then, Specifically. I'd say yeah. chicken chow min, yeah. fried rice, huh. and some dim, dim sum or dim sim. All right. Or something. Something gelatinous, soft, and squishy. You have a way of uh, phrasing things that makes me never want to eat dim sum again. But this was an absolutely electric story dad i really enjoyed this episode and we hope you enjoyed it too it was really nice to kind of it feels weirdly i feel weirdly uh unburdened after telling this story and exploring this case with you 1988 the bicentennial that was the uh chinese the great chinese takeaway i guess is a it's a pretty catchy name in fact i think the name was mentioned on think it was potentially nine news back in the day i think a couple of days mm. after the case they were talking to a garbo and he was sort of I saw the footage, it was great, and they asked him what it was called, and he said, oh, we're calling it The Great Chinese Takeaway. So, mm. um, anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files, where Dad, an ex-cop, and myself, an author, sit down and sort of roll our way through the strangest, greatest, and most often tragic true crime cases in Australian true crime history, and uh, sometimes we stray outside of Australia's borders. Anyway, thank you for listening. Make sure you head across to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating and a review. If you are on the Facebook discussion group, please head on over and tell us what you thought of this case. And we will see you later this week for an episode of Loose Ends. See you soon. Cheerio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.